We are back for part two of this episode of Can Marketing Save the Planet with our guest, Alexandra Pimor. And given the work we do at looking at the role of marketers in sustainability and driving a more sustainable future, I thought I'd jump straight in and ask her what she believes the role of law is in driving a more sustainable future. Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, it, I'm saying it's a loaded question because, like I said uh, you know, earlier on, the Earthful Centre, its initial and its stable you know, kind of activities and focus is on the law and, and legal changes. So we're looking at legislative changes. So, for instance, we've helped the government of Panama change its constitutional um, document to include rights of nature within it and the protection of biodiversity and you know the ability then for citizens to just like step in and defend the rights of nature there uh, and and we're, we're helping so many people as well uh, we've got you know various projects for the rights of rivers the rights of the oceans I mean one of our um, uh, incredible um, colleagues uh, who's who's He's now moving on, but was part of the Earthful Center in a, in an absolute key way is Michelle Bender. And at New York Climate Week, she, um, you know, she promoted the rights of ocean uh, in a way that uh, that today actually is so substantial and so crucial. Yeah. So, you know, we've been really well versed into the whole legal aspect. So law is massively important, but law can also be very slow to change. Yeah. Um. It can be very, um, you know, haphazard. Uh, it will change through case law, but then these case law, you know, will only come to the fore when somebody actually brings a lawsuit, right? And we've got that pretty much everywhere around the world nowadays, um, you know, with the so many different organizations uh, of all levels, intergenerational ones as well, bringing all kinds of suits against governments. I mean, the last one that, that I find really interesting is the is the case that is being brought before the European Court of Human Rights in particular, and where we're looking at the rights to a healthy environment being, you know, challenged now as well. Um, you know, where the youth is is basically saying, you know, our future is being completely yeah. jeopardized now. Yeah. Um so th- but these case law are only on an ad hoc basis. They turn up if people have got the means, the will, you know, the and the backbone to bring them forward and the resources to bring these cases forward and these cases can take years before they are heard as well and then you've got legislative uh, changes that can also be incredibly powerful and potent but again it is dependent on our politicians it is dependent on the people in government and in parliament who will listen who are willing to listen but we are we are seeing that a lot of the political class are a bit tone deaf, you know, they're kind of still anchored into the conventional old paradigm and they find it, well, I find that they may find it difficult to find the courage. Yeah. Right. And and I'm using, I'm repeating the word find. It's like, because it's like, yes, they have to find the courage to do something different to be something different, to create a much different future. And, but that's not what we see. So the importance of the law here is not to be underestimated by any means, but we have to also consider how limited it can be. Now, 
we also see some very interesting changes that happen like this as well. You know, once it's once it's on, like it's on, right? People are literally like, okay, let's let, let's do this. So, you know, we can see the, the the European Union Green Deal, for instance, you know, which is actually quite something. Um but the question that I have for all of this that the law is not what will truly drive change yeah. at, at the core. The law is what will influence change. It's what will almost force people because clearly if we need the law, that means we need people to be put before, you know, a fait accompli. This yeah. is what it is, right? Your your back is against the wall. You have no other choice but to act in that way. Yeah. So the law is a tool. And it can be a carrot and it can be a stick. And like any tools, it is only as good as the artist, as the master, as the craft person who actually yields it. Yeah. And like any tools, it will be dependent on the mastery and on the values and on the vision and on the heart and on the passion of the people who use that tool. Yeah. So the law is useful, yes, but it is not enough. And no. that's why we have the voice of nature movement. That's why we have nature on the board. That's why we have nature in, you know, from our perspective, the uh, the nature governance, you know, a, a team that, that I lead in particular, we've developed four circles of interventions, of services, where we're looking at nature on the board, nature in professional practice, nature in project development, and nature in cultural evolution. And, you know, within all of these circles, there are different ways and different means that we can drive mm. the real change towards an ecocentric approach, an ecocentric, you know, way of thinking, way of looking at the world uh, and, and of, you know, relating with each other. Yeah. So we are here to support the law. And, and, and this is the beauty about the law as well, is that the law is, is, is a social phenomenon. It's a political phenomenon. It's a cultural phenomenon. When the law changes, it tends to reflect what has already been ongoing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Very rarely will the law be the real, um, you know, generator of change. Yeah. The law generally spells that the winds have changed course. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because this is what we see, for instance, with the European Green Deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that wasn't necessarily on the cards until, you know, <laughs> until it had to be on the cards, yeah. <laughs> is what I'm saying. Yeah. And of so. course, yeah, and organisations, like you say, they don't have to wait to, for the regulation and the legislation. You know, it's not mandatory to say, no, carry on doing what you're doing until you're regulated to not do that anymore or legislated to not do that anymore. So, so there is that choice as well, isn't there? There is that choice around, you know, I don't know what your views are about organisations that are just waiting for that regulation rather than pace setting and being an exemplar and rethinking the systems and trying something else. But just like the politicians, as you say, they've got to find that courage to do something different. So do the leadership teams of these organisations and the shareholders and the stakeholders. I love all the words that you have used here. It tickles me. <laughs> I really love them right now because it's like, yes, okay. So where do I begin? There is a choice. This is what nature governance is about. 
It's about making the right choices. Nature governance is about empowering decision makers to make the wise choices with Mm. nature, for nature, as nature. Nature governance is about responsibility, accountability, and wisdom. Because here's the thing. We have all the knowledge that we can ever want. We have access to all kinds of knowledge, information, data. Um, We have the technical know-how. We have, you know, so much specialism here and there, so much expertise here and there. And we know what we have to do. And we know what we have to stop doing. The question is, do we do that? Do we do that? No. No, we don't. Because it's psychological. Because it's spiritual. Because it's emotional. Because it goes at the heart of what it is to be human. So what is it to be human? What does it mean to be human? It is an existentialist question. For me, my answer is simple. Being human is just to be alive. To have that experience, to be alive. And not just to be alive, but to be alive and enjoy life joyously. Mm -hmm. So what is the point of the business? What is the point of our economic systems, of our political systems, of our educational systems? If it's not to educate us on what it is to be alive. If it's not to help us on how to lead meaningful lives. And the businesses... The role of the businesses is essentially, the reason why they're so important is because they literally run the world. Mm. The economy runs the world. But what is the economy? Etymologically, economy means management of the home. So how are we managing the home? Mm. We are not doing a good job of that. We're trashing the place. (laughs) We are trashing it, yes. And, And so what is needed is leadership. So that's where you're absolutely right. Those businesses out there do not have to wait for laws and regulations and legislation to tell us what needs to be done. But what it requires, it requires the human beings at the heart of these corporations, at the heart of these businesses, to actually understand who they are, what they are here for. Because the person that you are at work is the person that you are at home. And you can't tell me otherwise. People say, well, I'm not the same. Well, then that means there is a dissonance. Because if you are a decent person at home, then you are a decent person at work. If your values at home are values of respect and integrity, then your values at work are of respect and integrity. That means you are not changing who you are at the core. You may be changing your roles. You may be changing your identities depending on the situation, the circumstances where you find yourself. But at the core of it, you are still a human being who is alive here and has a mission and a purpose to do something good. And I'm saying this, something good, because we have the choice. We have the choice to be a force for nothing good. And we have the choice to be a force for something good. Yeah. And And that requires leadership. It does. And, and honesty, you know, real honesty with yourself. And I, I don't know about you, Ali, but I've met enough senior execs that have got out of the business because they just felt like they couldn't do it anymore. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the holiday homes or the fast cars or the whatever else that they were, that, you know, that, that kind of privilege of that level of, of being created, but they just couldn't live with themselves. You know, they just, couldn't live with themselves in that kind of fake environment anymore. And, right. and, and that, 
that is that's a, a reality. Okay, there's a lot of people that thrive that and are in there. But as you say, this honest look at who you are, what it is that that actually matters, this meaningful work. Mm. Well, you know, if you've sold your soul to the devil and you're just reaping the benefits, I, I think there's probably a you know we we've seen it, we've heard you know I've read hundreds of books about the amount of leaders in leadership roles that are actually feeling empty. I think The Empty Raincoat by Charles Handy all those years ago is a phenomenal book, a piece of work around that very endeavour, this The Empty Raincoat. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just a shell. And, And it's not really, as you say, that wonderful question is, what does it mean to be alive? But also, if more businesses started, instead of waiting for the law to tell them what they can and can't do moving forward in the case of sustainability and climate change and and biodiversity and governance and nature and all of that, then they can work and have insights and understanding and knowledge of, of working together to try and shape the right laws moving forward as opposed to waiting to be told what to do. And maybe then we would stand a better chance of things happening at the pace that we need to happen in order to drive a more sustainable future. There is a reality, which is that we are definitely ruining the earth right now. In that respect, you know, there is an element of time in the sense of, you know, we need to act now. And the truth is, we only have now. You know, when we think about the future all the time, I, I... I don't mind thinking about the future in terms of envisioning what it might look like, but the future is a completely abstract notion that does not even exist, now exists. And the only way that we can get to the future that we envision is by taking care of the now. Mm. And that actually then deals with, for me, that touches on what you've said, you know, Michelle, about the leaders and the CEOs and the managers who are here right now feeling like completely empty of any purpose and meaning and so on. There is a crisis of imagination. We have been so conditioned to accept a reality in a particular way that, you know, you're saying many more of us need to be awakened. I think many of us are awake, Mm. but we don't always know what to do. And here's the thing. Do we ever know what to do? I mean, come on. Like if you're a parent and you have that baby in your arms for the first time, you haven't got a freaking clue what you're doing with that kid. You don't know how you're going to raise them. You may think, you know, but you don't know who that kid is. And parenting is collaborative. So you can only become a parent through that child, through who that child is and might be becoming, right? So what it means is it's relational. And what it means as well is that as you become that parent, you learn to tap into all kinds of things within yourself that you didn't even know were there. You become creative. You use your imagination. How would it look like? If I did this, how would it look like if I did that? What, what, how do I imagine the life that I want to create for our family? Well, it's the same at work. It's a crisis of imagination. When we step into the business, when we are in the business, we are the system and change starts from within. So when we realize, when we recognize that there is something that is not quite right, we can choose to step out. Of course we can. Okay. And that's, that's the decision that many of us do. I've, I've done it. Yeah. But there is also the other choice, because if you know that you are in a space that you really enjoy, that you love, that you are doing exactly what you think you want to do, but you're not quite getting where you want to go, 
be the change within that system, within that business, within that corporation. Be the change. How can you be the change? Well, start having conversations. And that's the thing. You can accept that it is what it is, that this reality is what it is. That's the first step. Okay, this is the reality right now. But what is, is always moving. Because look, we're talking right now, yes? Mm. So I am here with you. We're talking. It is what it is. But it's already different from what it was 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Okay. So what is, is constantly moving. What it means is imagine, envision what it is that you want to create. What is it, the experience that you want to create? And then look at the reality today. That's your starting point. That's not where you are forever. It's only the starting point. What needs to change today in order to achieve the vision for tomorrow? So when you are within the system, you need to change it. This is what faith in nature did. Yeah. They wanted to bring nature on the board. Yeah. And that's, that was the vision. We want nature to actually advise us, inform us. So then they thought, okay, so what is the situation today? And that's what the Earth Law Center and Lawyers for Nature and Sherman and Sterling did. What is the situation today? We yeah. didn't break anything. We did not break anything. We used what we had at our disposal. We looked at the current legal system. We looked at the current constitutional makeup of the company. And we looked at what needed to change in order to promote the evolution towards that vision. And every single person can do that by starting having those conversations. When we say that we don't have the time, to me personally, it puts a certain pressure because when you actually really embody yourself in the present moment and you think about what needs to change, you will see that when you are right here, right now, in that moment, making those steps, soon enough, the change will occur because the minute it starts, it really gathers pace. Yeah. So for marketeers, for instance, in the space that they may evolve in and they may feel, oh, what's it got to do with me, right? What have I got to do with nature? How can I even, you know, I don't know, advise my, my companies, my clients in being more responsible? What can I do? For me, marketers are storytellers. They are artists and we are all artists. That's the thing. What we all need to find out is what is the art that we are promoting here, that we are cultivating here, that we are nurturing. And if your art is the art of storytelling, what is the story that you want to tell? What is the story that you want to tell? And why is it important that you tell that story? What do we want to do? We know that everything is pretty bad. But you know what? There are also all kinds of things that are pretty good. All kinds of people who are doing all kinds of really good work. Yeah. So what are we saying yes to? And I'm thinking about Jojo Mehta's um, poem in honor of Polly Higgins. Dear Dandelion, because we use this poem as a, as a beacon, you know, within our, our team of wildflowers and nature governance collaborators. Imagine a world where, you know, the key principles are first, do no harm, care for all life, seek joy. These are our lightning words. So basic, so simple, so beautiful. Exactly. Exactly. What does it mean? First, do no harm. Sacred, no. Stop doing what 
hurts us. Yeah. Care for all life. Literally care for all life. And that also means expanding our understanding of what life is. Yeah. Because when you look at a rock, for instance, you think it's not, it's not alive, but it's still actually something that is energetically alive. And it is part of this earth and everything, even if we as human beings don't understand the intricacies of this web of life, every element on this earth is interrelated and is a benefit to everything else, to the whole web of life in and of itself. And we see this with the way that we treat the oceans. We see this with the way that we treat the forests, the forest communities, the ocean communities. Seek joy. If we cannot find joy in life, what is the point? I mean, seriously, I ask you, what is the point? We have to seek joy and happiness. The pursuit of happiness is an inherent element of life. Otherwise, what is the point? Mm -hmm. So for me, that's why these three simple lines embody everything that is good about nature governance. And I know that for maybe a lot of the listeners, nature governance still seems like it's very nebulous and it's, you know, uh, unclear. That's because it's a concept. And then you look at what it looks like in practice. And that's maybe, you know, for another conversation. But nature governance in practice means, for instance, bringing nature on the board. That means giving the voice of nature. But that also means practicing a different way of being. It's the politics of being that was developed by, you know, Thomas Legrand. Um, so we have a different way of being, a different way of thinking, a different way of making decisions. This is what conscious governance, nature conscious governance is about. And I'll give you just an example of what it means to be consciously aware of our decision-making process, which is an alignment. I, I have research as part of my doctoral thesis, which, by the way, has been going on for years. Um, but I have research as part of my thesis. Um, you know, the European Union, because for me, the European Union is the is one of the most incredible experiment, you know, uh, uh, of, of our contemporary age, because it's the first time that we have so many different countries, so many human beings across today, 27 member states, who have chosen to come together for a vision of peace. And peace is not a destination. Peace is a practice, mm -hmm. right? And Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General yep. said that we are at war with nature and that we need to be at peace. So that's why it's relevant here. It's all about peace, peaceful thinking, peaceful being, peaceful decision making. The European Union was based, was created on the back of an idea. Europe does not exist in and of itself. It's a construct. Europe is an idea that evolved over centuries. It comes from a myth, Europa. It evolved into this idea of Europe and the continent of Europe, and it morphed into this ideal of a united Europe. Yeah. We've had many, many attempts to unite Europe, well over a hundred that were actually, you know, sort of like, you know, thought out. Besides, you know, Christendom, besides, uh, you know, Charlemagne, and besides, you know, all, you know, Napoleon, who all tried, and the Second World War, who all tried, you know, in their own way to, to unite Europe through oppressive uh, means, conflicts and wars. Yeah. So the Second World War really revealed the final straw. After centuries of bloody conflicts, the founding fathers decided for the first time 
that we can't be doing the same thing over and over again. Einstein said, we can't solve the problems that we created with the mind or the mindset that created them. Well, that's exactly what the founding fathers embodied when they masterminded the European communities. We couldn't go for an eye for an eye, which is what happened after the First World War. After the Second World War, we had a change, a shift in consciousness. Mm. Instead of seeking an eye for an eye, we sought peace. Peace is the vision, peace is the goal, peace is the objective, peace is the culture, peace is everything. What happened then? Because peace was the center, the center peace, right? We created a European Union that is based on collaborative work, on cooperation, on collective decision-making, on solidarity. These are the principles, these are the values of the European Union to promote peace. And everything that we have done has been to promote and to practice peace yeah. at a supranational level. I'm not saying that the European Union is perfect, that is not it. But it has practiced peace, relative peace first, as in peace by the absence of war yeah. up until now. We can do the same with nature. A shift in consciousness, that is conscious governance. Yeah. We need to envision what it is that we want to experience. A vision of peace, humanity at peace with each other. Peace with nature. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. With, with each other, with all of nature. Yeah. And then the steps that we would take would be the practice of peace through those steps. And we can do this because the European Union has demonstrated that 27 member states, 24 different official languages, different traditions, different legal traditions, political traditions, and so on, have managed that. Today, you know, we are in a crisis. Yeah, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a crisis of faith. Can we actually get back to these values of peace and solidarity and collaboration and cooperation? Because these are the exact values that we need to ensure that humanity has a chance of surviving on this planet and yeah. thriving eventually. Yeah. That is where we are. And those organizations, the businesses that we have in mind that we want to actually you know, step into and in include the voice of nature, they need to remember that they are here to serve a greater purpose than just profit at all costs. Yeah. They are here to serve society as a whole. And because we're now in a global village, it is a global matter. Absolutely. And I think you've, you've I mean, this this conversation has absolutely set the scene for for fu for the future conversations that we will be having. And I think we could probably keep talking about this for hours. But Ali, <laughs> we love to ask our guests the same three quick fire questions at the end of every episode. So our first question to you is: Can marketing save the planet? Um, this is an interesting question. Can marketing save the planet? Well, can the people within marketing save the planet? My answer is yes. You know, because then it's like, can finance save the planet? Can politics save the planet? It's a, it's a resounding yes for all of this. Of course yeah. it can, because it's down to the people at the heart of these sectors, of these industries. And if these people are willing to be a force for good, then absolutely 100% marketing can save the planet. Amazing. And you talked about 
obviously we don't know what business is going to look like in 10 years time. We are in the now. We can have visions for what that looks like. What would you want if you were projecting what 10 years time looks like for business? What would you like to see? Oh, every business would have the voice of nature on board. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Easy. Tick. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, totally. Like in so many different shapes. I mean, and I know we're going to have that conversation again. We've got um, one of our uh, collaborators, one of our clients who's appointed the entire board as a proxy for the Atlantic Ocean. Wow. Um, yes. So everybody resigned and, you know, then re-entered the board space committing to be a voice for nature. And that has already changed the way even management is operating within the organization, because now it's a case of like answering to the ocean. So I would love to see companies integrating the voice of nature in whichever way that works. And by the voice, I mean the voices, because nature is not univocal. It's not even, you know, like a a, a concept that has a, a rigid singular definition, um, but the voices of nature. Yeah. yeah. In, in 10 years, I would say that every business is, is thriving because they are a force for good. They've got nature on board and they are literally contributing to the regeneration of the planet. And that goes back to the first question. It's not so much that we are saving the planet but yes. that we're saving humanity from its own destruction and from taking the planet with it. Yeah, you know? yeah, perfect. And our final question to you is, if you were to give one piece of advice to marketers around working more closely with nature, mm-hmm. what would it be? Get in touch with their own nature first. You know, who, who are you? Who are you? What are you doing this for? What is your purpose? What is your mission? What is your vision? How does it align? There is, um, my mantra is that I want to do what I love and love what I do. Is it what you are doing? And are you being a force for good in that way? And reach out, reach out to all kinds of people and understand that it's a systemic issue. So it's not just a sustainability matter. It's not just a biodiversity matter. It's not just a climate change matter. It's a planetary matter. And you can come at it from so many different angles. Join the communities um, that are out there that can help you expand your mind and your vision. Educate yourself that way. I would obviously say, first of all, you know, you can get on the Earth Law course (laughs) and find out about Earth Law and how it works. I would also so strongly recommend uh, the Bio um, Leadership Programme that I've been a, a part of for the past year. It's been absolutely incredible because this is where also you can find out about, you know, uh, you can find out about how you can help how you can be yeah. a force for good in your own way, in your own industry, in your own sector, in your own vision. And uh, and I would also say, you know, start those uncomfortable conversations yeah. in your sector. Yeah. They are uncomfortable. Why? Because clearly there needs to be a change. That's the only reason why they're uncomfortable. Because we know that something has to change and the change starts from within. Wow. Well, Alexandra, it has been phenomenal having you um, as a guest on the planet, on the planet and and, and, and on this podcast. You are an amazing guest on this planet as, as, uh, you know, that's prophetic. Um, But absolutely. 
how you've you've shared a few links with us here. You you've talked about the bioleadership program, you've talked about the Earth Law Center. We'll make sure these links are all in the show notes. How do people also um find out more about the the wildflower flowers and the work that you're doing in that project? Uh okay. Well we have a brand new little website. Ooh. And it's a www naturegovernance.org so you can um, reach out to us on that website have a look at some of the services but you can also go on the Earthful Centre website Um, and at the minute we are going through phase two of a selection for uh, dandelion (laughs) fellows Um, because you know to to help with the voice of nature being integrated in corporations you know we've been thinking well how do we help then people becoming the voice of nature so we have set up uh, the dandelion fellowship right now it's very much on a shoestring it's uh it's going to be a, like you know let's learn on the go it's a co-development program where yeah. we are inviting um human beings from all around the world to join us in co-developing co-creating uh, you know, a curriculum as well as materials and information for the development of proxies. So if you want to find out more, have a look at the, you know, the Earthal Center web, uh, website yep. as well as the Nature Governance website. You can email me, get in touch with me directly as well. That would be great. And if you want to support us, please, please, please donate. Yeah, <laughs> we, that would be great. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. we will make sure access to all of those um places to go for more information and to support you and to find out more is all available in the show notes so that just leaves us to say a huge big thank you and loads and loads of love for everything that you've brought to this podcast today